We're in Mark chapter 16, and we are concluding uh, our study of Mark's gospel. You know, the distinctive thing about Mark is that it moves like a movie. It goes from one scene to the next scene to the next scene. And we're following in the footsteps of Jesus on his journey from Judea to Jerusalem. And what I love about the way God writes stories is that he always saves his best for last. And we're about to see his best in the greatest surprise that these disciples could imagine. I want to just set the scene. Uh, I'm going to read the first six verses of Mark chapter 16. I'll read these verses and pray. Scripture says that when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came into the tomb where the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us. But when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And it says they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he is risen. He's not here. You can see the place where they laid him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for that open tomb. We thank you that we can be here in the house of the Lord together as the family of God. And I just pray, as the word of the Lord is taught, I pray a special blessing upon the people of God this year. I thank you for your peace, your presence, and a real revelation of who you are in our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, I am not going to lie. It was a very rough week for me, all right? We got hit with a once-in-a-century blizzard with a foot of wet snow. Have you shoveled wet snow before? Not fun. And on top of that, I got myself a little sore throat. So if we cough during Easter message, I'm sorry, I've done my best. <laughs> Holy Week's a lot of work, man. You got services to do, stuff to get ready, and I'm a guy who likes to be prepared going to something. I got a call Thursday afternoon from my wife. They said, hey, your little girl, Lydia who had her fingers crushed in the door last week, she's got emergency surgery Friday morning. Now, fingernails are no joke. I mean, that is how they torture terrorists. Those fingernails will hurt somebody. So uh, at 5 a.m., when we got up to go into surgery, my little girl said to mommy in the bed, she said, Mommy, is daddy coming with us? Well, you better believe I was coming with her. Uh, my little girl's precious to me. Um, she's more precious to me than you are. Uh, <laughs> But you are precious to the Lord. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Now, I want to highlight for us this morning in this 16th chapter, uh, three people who were precious to the Lord. Uh, people are precious in the eyes of God. I mean, he cares about people. And he paid a great price for your soul. It's, it says in scripture that the price he paid was costly. So that means there's great value placed upon you. And you know, there's a great value that Jesus placed upon individual people. There's great value in every soul. That, that's a value that I have. I believe in the value of every person. Uh, you know, whether it's Jesus visiting a woman at a well, whether he's with Nicodemus at night, or whether it's him, you know, talking to a blind man who got excommunicated from the temple. Uh, Jesus, he cares about people. He, he loves people dearly. He wants so badly to have them involved in his life. And so here in this 16th chapter, uh, as I was studying, I, I like reading the Bible. I like going through passages of Scripture I've never been in before. I've never been in Luke 16 or Mark 16 here. And I identified three people that 
were precious to the Lord, three people who had personal encounters with Jesus. If the resurrection is going to be real, it's when you have a real encounter with the resurrected Jesus. That's where the Spirit of God comes alive in your heart. And so I want to highlight some people in this passage of Scripture. Let's start in verse number 7. Mark 16, verse 7. This is Jesus. And the, the angel was telling the disciples. They said, go and tell his disciples, and Peter. Somebody say, and Peter. Tell the disciples, and Peter, that he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him as he said to you. The first person that I want to highlight that was precious to the Lord was Peter, who was a man, you know the story, who had denied the Lord. I mean, here we got Peter. And every time I read this verse, when he says, and Peter, man, that evokes such emotion in me. I think about, you know, Peter sitting by a fire with a little girl, a slave girl, who said, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And three times, Peter is cursing and swearing and saying he ain't got nothing to do with the man. And then he heard that rooster crow. And it's scripture says when Peter thought about it, he wept. You know, the fact that, uh, it, it, that Peter had that encounter is so significant. If we do a, um, a character sketch on Peter, there's plenty of material to use. You know, Peter is someone who is loudmouthed, hot-tempered, saying stuff he shouldn't have said all the time. And Peter had the bravado to tell the Lord, uh, I'm never going to deny you. He had the chutzpah, the, the hubris to say, to rebuke Jesus one time. You remember that? He said, no, you're not going to go to the cross. I mean, here's this guy, Peter. I mean, and, and yet when Jesus signaled him out, he singly said, and Peter. It moved Peter from a place of rejection into a place of restored fellowship with God. From rejection into restoration. That's where Peter went, one who denied the Lord. Now, I can relate with Peter because I do remember, you know, in my earlier years, I had really kind of been raised in a Christian home, but I don't know, I kind of got, you know, backslid a little bit. I was disillusioned with it. I didn't want to hear. I wanted to do my own thing. And, and I remember just walking away from the Lord. And when he granted me repentance and brought me back into a place of restoration with him, I felt just amazing that he would consider me to be in the ministry because I felt called to do that. I mean, that was incredible. And I asked him, I said, God, I'm a man who walked away from you. I didn't want anything to do with you. Why would you want me to serve you? And he gave me a verse from Romans chapter 11. Is the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Without repentance, when God calls you, he calls you. You can't get away from it. Man, that meant so much to me. And I guess I'm just here to tell you, if you've ever drifted from the Lord, if you've ever walked away from him, if it, you haven't been close to him, if, if it's been one of those things where, you know, you've turned your back on him, man, let me just reassure you, he loves you. He longs for you. He knows your name and the hairs of your head. And he can bring you out of a place of rejection back into a place of restoration and fellowship with him. That's who he is. You know, probably it was Peter that wrote Mark's gospel. And Peter includes this very intimate detail. And what he is describing for us is giving us a sense of reassurance that God is with you. He can restore things that you thought got broken. Man, I love what the Lord's able to do. He can bring you from rejection back into a place of restoration with him. He can restore things to your life. Uh, the Bible says that 
He's able to restore the joy of your salvation. You know, it was King David that wrote that. King David was a person who fell in sin and got tricked up in a bad situation. And when he penned that 51st Psalm that God could restore to him the joy of his salvation, that was his prayer. Man, I know what that feels like. I know what it is to have walked with him and and, and lost some fellowship and have it restored and brought back is the most precious feeling. Jesus is the shepherd who can lead you beside the still waters and restore your soul. That means there's something about the Prince of Peace. When he comes into your life, man, he can bring such a sense of peace and satisfaction that's unlike anything the world can give. The only peace you'll really ever experience is found at the foot of the cross. And there's something about being restored in fellowship with God in relationship with him that is so satisfying to your soul. You know what I'm talking about? I like what Joel said, that he is a restorer of your years. Only God can give you back time. You know, I sounded a phone call last week from a friend of mine, Dr. Dave Roberts. Now, Dr. Roberts was from South Carolina before he moved to Montana. And Dr. Roberts was telling us the story uh, when he was a younger man, a younger doctor. He was just trying to make ends meet, and he found there was an easy way to make money as a doctor, and it was through aborting babies. So, you know, he was one of the, this was in the 70s when it became legal. He started, you know, a practice, and they would abort children, and it became an easy thing. And, but one day, he went from a place of, rejection because he was raised in church into a place of restoration with God. And he realized that what he was doing was wicked in the eyes of the Lord. And he thought, how am I going to get this blood off of my hands? What, what do I need to do? And, and from that time on, Dr. Roberts with a consortium of other doctors, they began to set up uh, non-crisis pregnancy centers. He was one of the first people to do that. Places like Levy here in town that help women figuring out what to do. And he used the rest of his life to, to give himself to saving children. Man, think about how God can give things back to you. He can give you back years. He, it, I like what Isaiah the prophet said. He's a restorer of the breach. That means he's a restorer of broken things. God can take things you thought were in shambles, things that you thought could not come back. He, he, he can bring them back into your life, man. He can bring back relationships. He can put them in order. He can take those scrambled eggs and he can turn them back into eggs again. That, that's the God that we serve. He, he heals broken things. He is a restorer, and he wants to bring restoration into your life. He wants you to be restored and fellowship with him, walk with him. I love what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It said, if we're faithless, he remains faithful, that he cannot deny himself. Man, what a beautiful picture of the Lord. He has never left you. He's never forsaken you. He, he knows where you are, and like Peter, he wants you to be in the fold with him. Let's talk about a second woman here. I'm in this uh, 16th chapter. Let's look at verse number nine. It says, now, Jesus rose early on the first day of the week. So Sunday morning, it tells us that Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And then it gives us this little curious detail. Out of whom he cast out seven devils. Now let's talk about a second person precious to the Lord who is Mary Magdalene. And the verse tells us that she's one who was delivered from demons. Nobody wants to talk about demons, especially on Easter Sunday morning, because we don't want you puking on the carpet. <laughs> you know, there's a rub on this woman. All right, that little character sketch we have about Mary Magdalene. Uh, church tradition is that Mary Magdalene probably was a prostitute. That's not in the Bible, 
But there are references that make allusions to that, 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 that she had a lifestyle that was sinful. And so, you know, here's this woman, Mary Magdalene, and the fact that Jesus, the scripture says, appeared to her first tells us some incredible things. It tells us that she went from a place of deliverance into a place of devotion. And Mary Magdalene became a very devoted follower of the Lord. She has given her heart, her soul, everything she had. You know, deliverance is a powerful thing. If you've ever experienced deliverance, man, it's the most freeing sensation. You know, I, I remember I was living in California, and I was kind of hanging out with my Uncle Ralph. He was a minister, and we would go to some meetings, and I met a, a very interesting man. He was a Christian psychiatrist, a very educated man. And so, you know, we hit it off. I was engaging him, talking to him, and he introduced me to his wife, who had the most incredible story. He met his wife at the practice that he had. He's, he's a therapist. Uh, uh, and what happened was she came in because she had 106 split personalities, 106 multiple personalities. And, you know, I was getting the, the background of the story. This woman had an uncle who was a Nazarene pastor, and that pastor would dabble on the side in the occult. And they had this little girl who was kind of like the object of their rituals. And so for her to you know, protect the emotions that she had going on, it's like she learned how to just switch out of the role she was in. And, and, and so she, you know, she just kind of was you know, living in this place for many years of torment and dysfunction. And when she came to his office, you know, he helped her walk through that, but he got her delivered from demonic activity. I mean, it was incredible to hear her talk about it. She said she hadn't had a relapse into a split personality in the last six years. And when she talked about it, man, you could see the glory of God on her face. She got delivered from demons, had children, functional, normal. It was an incredible story to meet that man. I'm telling you that Jesus can take you from a place of needing deliverance into a place where you can be a devoted follower of him. That's what Mary Magdalene had. Mary Magdalene was devoted. You know what devoted people do is they worship the Lord. And one of these passages that kind of alludes to Mary's former lifestyle is in Luke chapter 7. And it says that there was a sinful woman, a woman of the night, a woman of ill repute, who came to the house of Simon the Pharisee, and in the middle of them up and having dinner, she came at the feet of Jesus and washed his feet with her tears and wiped him with her hair. And when it offended all the Pharisees in the house, Jesus said, hey, to him who has been forgiven much, the same loves much. I mean, Mary was a worshiper. Now, when you're devoted, you just can't help but sing and dance a little bit. I told Paul, I thought you had another song up here today. He said, I, I would, but I lost my voice. I can't keep going on. <laughs> I lost my voice too, Paul. And it's okay. I can't sing anyway. You know, I can't clap on beat. I can barely dance, but I don't care. I want to worship God, man. It's like one of my favorite things to do. I'm devoted to him. Devoted people will follow Jesus wherever he goes. That's what Mary Magdalene did. Do you realize that in Mark's gospel, the last two chapters, there's four mentions of Mary Magdalene. She's at the foot of the cross, and she's observing where the body was laid. We opened up the chapter by seeing it was Mary who had come to, to, first of all, to anoint his body at the tomb. I mean, she, she's right there, and now Jesus appears to her first. This woman is devoted to him. She's following him wherever he goes. You know, little children are like that. I mean, I'm cleaning my, my, my dishes. I, no sooner have I turned around, I bumped into a four-year-old. Now she's falling out on the floor crying. 
It's because <laughs> they'll follow you wherever you go. That's what Mary Magdalene was doing. She's sneaking up on Jesus like white on rice, man. She's everywhere he was at, devoted to him. Devoted people are witnesses. What is amazing to me is that Mary Magdalene became going first evangelist in the Bible. Here's a woman, the first person Jesus commissioned, go and tell my disciples that I'm risen. Devoted people talk about it. They talk about their faith. I got a grandma like that. My 98-year-old grandma. I think she's here in the service this morning. And grandma is devoted to God. And I do remember living with her years ago. She would go to doctor's offices. I remember one doctor was from Germany. And the doctor didn't really have any religious persuasion. And, grandma, and the doctor's attitude was like, you know, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, whatever. And grandma said to her, uh, Buddha is dead, but Jesus is alive. And hell is hot, and you better get that right. She came home and told us about it. You know, when you're accosted by the gospel from a 90-year-old woman, you just have to smile. Grandma was a witness, man. She's devoted to the Lord. Devoted people are willing to put God first in everything they do. And, and, and this is Mary Magdalene. Luke chapter 8, it mentions Mary Magdalene. It says that she and other women gave of their substance to support the Lord. Like, like she, she's in it, man. As soon as she got delivered, it, everything belonged to Jesus. So she's giving him the, the alabaster box, broken to see perfume. She's anointing him. She's lavishing her gifts upon him because she's put him first. I want to put God first in my life. I want him to have the first priority in my time. It is interesting to me that the first person Jesus appeared to was a woman who put him first. And I, I'm just telling you that if you put him first, if you'll make your life something that's devoted to him, he will reveal himself in a way to you that is powerful. He'll show himself strong on your behalf. You can meet the resurrected Jesus when you put him first place in your life. Delivered from sin. And now this woman is devoted to him. That's what happened to Mary Magdalene. Let me give you... Person number three here. And I'm in the 12th, or yeah, the 12th verse here. It says, after that, because apparently Jesus is having a busy Easter morning. He, it says, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked into the country. Now, I know that Mark's gospel here says there's two of them. But only one of them actually is named. And his name is found in Luke, the 24th chapter. So if you'd flip over to Luke 24 with me. I want to talk about this, this third person here. It says two of them were, you know, walking down the road. Luke tells us they're going to Emmaus, which was a place just outside of Jerusalem where they're walking. And it says Jesus appeared in another form to them. It, Luke says their eyes were hidden from him, so they did not know them. And I'm in Luke 24. Let's read verse 18. It says that one of them, whose name was Cleopas. Somebody say Cleopas. Cleo, it says. Answer and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? They said, Haven't you been watching Fox News? Don't you understand what's taking place? I mean, everybody knows. And it tells us that Jesus very coyly replied to them in verse 19. He said, um, What things? And they said to him, Well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. But it says, we were hoping, somebody say hoping. We're just hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And indeed, besides this, today is the third day since all these things have happened. 
Now, here, here's our third man, a man whose name was Cleopas. He's a person who went from a place of disappointment into a place of hope when he met Jesus. Two people walking down the road, one of them is named. Was he with his wife? Was it a buddy? Nobody knows. You want to do a little character sketch on Cleo here. It, this is like the only place that he's mentioned. He, he, there's a guy named Clopas in John 19, verse 25. Scholars go back and forth. Was that the guy, the same person? We don't know. This is really his only mention right here. But the fact that he's named in the Gospels tells me that Jesus can bring you from a place of disappointment into an extraordinary place of hope. And I love the fact that we have hope. Hope is a powerful force. And when the Lord moved him from that place of disappointment, it tells me something. It tells me that you can go from disappointment into a place of resurrection where God can bring back dead things that you thought you lost out on. He's a God, the Bible says, who raises the dead. He can give life to bodies. He, he, he can bring back things that were lost. Now, I do know that the housing market in Billings is troublesome. It's hard to buy a home because all the people from California moved up here. You know who I'm talking to. <laughs> uh, but I do remember the subprime mortgage meltdown back in 2008. And my wife and I, who we've been living with my mother at the time, and you know, you can only live with mom and grandma for so long. Come on, son, before you start going crazy. <laughs> so, man, Elizabeth, we needed a house. So we'd found this cute little house that had what we wanted in it, you know, uh, vaulted ceilings. And it was a little starter home around the West End where I wanted to be at. We put an offer in. Everything was lined up. And you remember what it was like in a way? Like, this is 2011. One month, two months, three months. And then they said, hey, this is a short sale, and you've lost the home, and it's going to the bank. And I mean, we were like, what? what? I mean, it was hard. Emotionally, we were like, what? what? I don't want to stay here with mom no more. Ah, <laughs> uh, but you know what happened the next month? We got a house just around the corner, a little better layout on a cul-de-sac. And I remember the Lord opened the door, and it was like that thing that was dead came back to life in a glorious way. Yeah. He, listen, he, Jesus, is the God of all hope. He's a God who raises the dead. He's a God who gives you hope for your future. At 2911, some people have that. Jeremiah wrote to the Jews in captivity in Babylon. Jeremiah 2911, some people have that verse tattooed to their bodies. I've given you a future and a hope. You know, my dad died some years ago, and I remember that my mom was about, you know, 50, which sounded so old to me then. And now it sounds, you know... <laughs> That's a pretty great season in life. <laughs> but mom felt like, you know, she didn't have a future. I, you know, I don't have any vision for where I'm at. Like everything has been taken from me. And, and I remember that moment we prayed together. And I'm just telling you now, man, she's married. She's too busy with grandchildren. They got her remodeling the house so we can't go to her home for Easter today because they're so busy. It's like, man, God has restored and brought back things. What a beautiful thing to have happen in your life. That's what God is able to do. There's hope for your future. I remember I shared this with a woman one time. Jeremiah 31, 17, Scripture says there's hope for your future. And when I read that to her, she just busted out crying because a lot of people live without hope. But I'm telling you, hope is the reason we're here this morning. Mm. He's the God of all hope. And when you're down, when you're discouraged, I like what David experienced, Psalm 42. He said, why are you cast down on my soul? Hope thou in God. 
For he said, I'll yet praise him. I don't know much, but I do know that whenever I've needed Jesus, he has showed up to help me in difficult moments. He's been with me in storms and battles and trials. He's been with me when good days and bad days and blizzards and colds. And he's always there when I need him. He's able to help and come through because he is the God of all hope. Let me tell you where there's hope. There's hope in the resurrection. I like what the book of Titus calls it, the blessed hope. It says that God has given us an eternal hope. Do you realize that the entire Christian faith hinges upon the resurrection? That is what scripture says of itself. It says, if Jesus isn't risen, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. It says, without Christ, we're without hope in the world. And I'm just telling you this morning, this Easter morning, this resurrection, that's why we're here, because we have hope. And I've just highlighted for you three people in this story who had a personal encounter with Jesus. And for it to be real, for that living hope that we sang about to come alive, it requires a personal encounter with a resurrected Jesus. That's who he is, alive and well. Yeah, that's what's in this passage. Three people. You've got Peter, who went from rejection into a place of restoration. And then you've got Mary Magdalene. She was delivered from her sinful lifestyle and demons, and she became a total devoted follower to the Lord. And then we have Cleo, so down, so disappointed. They waited forever for their Messiah. They thought, man, for thousands of years, it couldn't be. He's been dead for three days. But God took him into a place of hope. And that is a message. People that are precious to the Lord. You know who is precious to me is my little girl. She went from not having a fingernail to having a fingernail after her little surgery. I had to put that thing back on. I want to ask you this morning what you need to have restored in your life. What things need to be restored? Is it the joy of your salvation? I know people sitting in church this morning who once were close with God and yet somehow you drifted. That happens to people all the time. Think about all the people you know in America that live like that. They were close to God. They went through a season, but for whatever happened, it's like they drift away. And I'm telling you, the joy of your salvation is a real thing. It's a powerful thing. And God can bring you back into peace. There's no peace outside of Jesus. There's no purpose outside of Jesus. There's a place of restoration that exists right there. He can bring back relationships you thought were broken. He can restore a family. He can put things back together again. And there's things you need restored. And Jesus is able to do it. He's a God of restoration. If he could take Peter, who had denied him, walked away, Peter was so embarrassed. And, And it took Jesus engaging him to bring him back into fellowship. Or, you know, what... What do you need deliverance from? I mean, is there some addiction that's holding you down? Some habit you can't kick? I know people, you know, stuck on drugs or pornography, gambling. Mary Magdalene had a lifestyle that the Lord delivered her from. And I have seen that take place, man. I I, I know what it is to go from a place of sinfulness one day and go back the next day and never touch it again because I walked it. The Lord delivered me. He can deliver you. He can bring you into a place of devotion. Man, there's safety in devotion. There's something wonderful about following Jesus. It's the cleanliness of righteousness, of serving him. That's what Mary Magdalene loved. That's what she experienced there with Jesus. That's why she was 
after him so much because when you've tasted everything the world has, you'll find out it's not satisfying. Only Jesus is that. Only his blood is satisfying. What things do you need hope for? Maybe you feel like everything fell apart for you. That family that you had hopes for and potential just seems like it's just broken apart. Maybe you had a career, a job. You felt like, man, I was doing so well, and I don't, I don't feel like it's going to take place. You know, you might have been through a divorce. The bitterness of certain situations in life. I'm telling you that the Lord has hope for your future. If you have a heart beating and are breathing, there is hope for what lies ahead for you. That is the message this morning of the resurrection, that there's hope for every person. There's hope in your life. And I want to pray that over the people of God. Can we pray that this morning? How many of y'all could use some hope in your life? Are there some things you need to be restored? I want to pray that over you today. Put a hand up. Just say, I receive restoration and deliverance and hope. I pray, Lord, over your people today. I thank you, Lord, for great things that are ahead. Great things. Great, great things. Father, I thank you for great things. Bless things. God, give us ideas. Give us wisdom. Give us peace to know what to do. I thank you for hope that lies ahead. There's hope for your future. Mm. And just like that, that light on Sunday morning, that early light that started shining, I feel like hope is about to come alive in the hearts of people. You know what? I, I feel like there's people, you just got a little glimmer of hope right there. And I'm telling you, it, it, it's, it's a rising thing. I pray that that hope would start shining like the sun shining and, and the fullness of its strength. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're weary. Maybe you don't know what to do. I'm telling you, there's hope for you. Good things ahead if you'll walk with Jesus. Amen and amen. Ooh, I feel the peace of the Lord. I feel his goodness. I feel hope in the room. I was telling you how precious my little girl is. You, you can't miss her today. She's all dressed up and she's got a, a big pink uh, cast and two fingers sticking out. I, I was listening to my friend Mike share a story about another man whose daughter was precious to him. This man was pastoring in Indonesia. And Indonesia is an island country and it's filled with, it's predominantly Muslim. But in that part of the world, South Asia, I'm telling you, Christianity is exploding. You go to places, it's like thriving, it's growing. And so there was a man who was pastoring on a small jungle island in Indonesia, being very fruitful. And some Islamic militants had heard about their success and were infuriated by it. And they decided they were going to do away with this Christian community there. And they'd heard that, you know, they might be in trouble. There might be some danger for them. And so they were just warned, hey, they might be coming for you. Well, one night in the middle of the night, they were woken up by some people from the church. Hey, they're here and they're going to kill us and they're going to burn down this place. We got to get out of here. It was a mad scramble. And there's this pastor and his wife, and they're trying to get their five kids up and out the door. And, and, and the only place they had to go was into the jungle. There was nowhere to go. So they left in the middle of the night, and they're making their way through the jungle and the darkness, and, and, and they could hear the screams behind them, and they could see the flames in the village. It was burning. And, and, and so they made their way far enough in the jungle where they thought they would be safe. And they gathered everybody together, you know, wanted to give an account. But, you know, they found that there was one missing child, their youngest daughter, wasn't there. And they thought, did we get her out of bed? They were, it was such a scramble to get out. They didn't know what to do. They weren't sure. So the father said, I love my little girl, and I will go back into that village, back 
where I came from and I'll face whoever I have to face to make sure that she's all right. So he began to head out there in that darkness, pitch black in the jungle to go back and find out where his girl was. Down the bottom, he's going along there in the jungle and, and it's black and he ended up falling into a ravine, rolled down the bottom, sprained his ankle. He sat there in the dark and just cried out to God. And then he heard the cries of a little child whimpering of a five-year-old girl. And he looked and not 30 feet away from him was the little girl with a, with a stuffed animal. She had fallen in the ravine on the way out of the village. She had nowhere to go. And he came and he embraced her. And that is the love of a father. I'm just telling you, that's the love that Jesus has for you. That he would go chase you down. He'll leave the 99 to go after you like he did for Peter. And all he wants is to be in relationship with you. All he wants is for you to be in his arms. And I just want to take a moment with every head bowed, every eye closed. I know it's Easter, and I'm sure somebody in the house really isn't as close to God as they could be. And I'm just telling you this morning, he loves you with an everlasting love. And he would chase you down just to have you in his family. He paid the ultimate price at the cross. He can't prove it anymore. He can't demonstrate it anymore. He loves you. He wants you in his family. And maybe this morning you're away from him. I'd just like to give you a chance. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you could put a hand up. And I want to pray with you to get right with the Lord. His everlasting, eternal love in your life. Now, just put a hand. Just slip words out. I see, I see that hand. And I see that hand. Yeah, and I, I, just, I just want to have us all pray. If you would just pray with me. Say, Father, thank you for your love for me. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. And I thank you that you've forgiven me. And I want to be in your family and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, prayers don't got to be fancy. They just got to be sincere. And if you sincerely did pray that, man, I, I want to meet you. I want to talk with you afterwards. I'd love to connect with you. I know the Lord loves his people. Amen. Will you stand up with us this morning? Man, I'm glad you came out to church this morning. What a beautiful, wonderful day to be in the presence of the Lord. I want you to know we value every one of you, man. And, and I wish I could shake hands with every single person here. It's great to see some of y'all. Man. But I want to invite you out next week. We're having service again. It'd be great to be here. Remember, every person is valuable. And if you need prayer for anything, these altars are open. We'd love to pray for you. I just sense the peace of the Lord in the house of God today. Can you feel his peace? Let's just take a moment as we close out. Father, we thank you for your love and your peace and your goodness. And I thank you that you're watching out over your people. Yeah. I want to pray real quickly the priestly blessing over you. Can we do that real quick? I, I just feel this peace here. I want to read Numbers chapter 6. I like this verse. Numbers chapter 6. I just sense it in my spirit as, as, we, as we go today. Mm. Is it number 6 or Numbers 24? The Lord bless you and keep you, give you peace, or make his face to shine upon you. And give you peace. Yes. Give you peace. Father, I thank you for the peace of God over your people. Thank you they can be a witness wherever they go. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy in their lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Hey, love you all. We'll catch you all next week. Say hello to someone on the way out. It's great to have you here with us today, amen. Amen.